Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is The Guardian. Hello, lovely people of Pods. You're on Australian Politics and I'm Catherine Murphy. And with me, Sarah Martin, Amy Ramakis, Daniel Hurst. And, and we, we are answering your campaign questions. For the last time. <laughs> Thank God. Not, not that Thank we're Dolly. <laughs> not that we're counting. If we make it through the next if, hour. If we make it through the next hour, exactly. So anyway, yes, we have gathered for one last time in our campaign context to uh, to deal with your, as usual, totally excellent questions. And, uh, and we are going to start actually this week with Daniel. Uh, we have a question uh, from Sean. So hi, team, etc. I hear the term supply and confidence a lot regarding a hung parliament. Can you please explain? Yes, Sean, I can. <laughs> Thanks for calling in. Can you do a polling, <laughs> please, Daniel? Thanks, Moira. No, uh, okay, so supply and confidence, it's just confidence just means uh, whether you would support the government uh, and supply is whether you would support the budget bill. So often when you talk about um, a hung parliament, uh, there's a bit of a, you know, both leaders have said they wouldn't do deals to govern in a hung parliament, but that usually means deals to trade away policy in order to win support from particular crossbenchers. Yeah. So uh, to be in government, you need to either have at least 76 seats in the lower house or you need to have um, uh, confidence and supply undertakings from at least 76 individuals. So basically, um, uh, supply and a, a deal for supply and confidence is a step short of a, of a proper coalition a yeah, formal like, coalition, like what we saw in the in the, in the last minority parliament. Yeah, we, yes, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so you know, the Nationals and Liberals are in coalition. That includes, you know, they they, they govern together. They have min- Nationals have ministerial positions. Um, supply and confidence is just a matter of if it got to a vote on the floor of Parliament, you know, somebody moves a motion of no confidence in the government. For the government to stay in power, they need to have uh, majority support on the floor of of the Parliament. So. In in order to be in power, a government needs to have uh, at least, you know, at least uh, 76 votes when it comes to staying in office, and they need at least 76 votes to pass budget bills. Otherwise, they don't have money to run the government. Yes. Yeah, so, Sean, that is why we are all talking about it, because uh, it is, uh, if the published opinion polls are to be believed, and I hope everyone heard the if in that sentence, <laughs> it is close enough to for us starting to be thinking through minority government scenarios, which is, of course, why you have asked the question. And, and I should add, if, if there are a bunch of crossbenchers in that situation who 
do give um, supply and confidence undertakings to a particular side to allow them to form government. Uh, that doesn't mean that means they can still vote on individual bills, individual proposals, whichever way they see fit. So you know when you're in government together as a coalition, uh, crossing the floor uh, notwithstanding, usually a government will vote together in favour of individual pieces of legislation. Yes. That if you just have a deal for supply and confidence, it's still, those independents still have the freedom to, to look at each proposal on its merits and vote Yeah, I think even, have I lost my marbles? Like when uh, Craig Kelly decamped to the crossbench, didn't Morrison try and get a supply and confidence handshake with Bob Catter? Or maybe, I, maybe I've hallucinated that whole episode. <laughs> don't know that. I don't remember that. <laughs> I don't think it's Does a anyone no, I, I, I think there was some sort of at least informal yeah, agreement yeah. with Bob Catter yeah, uh, that, you know, if, if if they needed it. So yeah, which would be very reliable. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, like he's always in Parliament. He's definitely across every piece of legislation. And he's not mercurial. No, at no, all. no. God no. no. The man Take, is so even yeah. solid. Take it to the bank. Exactly. Take it to the bank. But he's, anyway, yeah, I think we have Thousand blossoms bloom. Indeed, I think we have explained that clearly. But yeah, Daniel's point is obviously yeah. I, I don't think I don't think any of us think, do we, that there's going to be detailed minority government agreements with any of these protagonists after the election. If that's where we end up, it's not going to be like the famous press conference with Julia Gillard and Bob Brown and Tony Windsor and Rob Oakeshott. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but these sort of more streamlined agreements are definitely in. And of course, if you lose, you know, supply and can't get your budget bills. Past, then often we're off to a double dissolution election. Yeah, so yes. that's a whole, whole thing. Fun times. Okay. Well, thank you, Sean. Now, uh, next question is from Jonathan Spear. Uh, is internal polling more reliable than published polling? And if so, why? And by this, I think uh, I think Jonathan means party polling, party mm. private polling. No, is the answer. It doesn't. It, it's not less or more reliable. Um, the benefit of uh, you know standard published polling that you have from uh, our Essential Poll and News Poll and Ipsos and so on uh, is that uh, you know it's a it's a it follows a regular pattern. It's the same method each time, and there's sort of established principles behind it, um, and people can see the methodology. The, the The issue with reporting of internal polling is more about why. Why has it been released? The motivations for it being released. So it's just a sort of caveat. Um, it can also be difficult to get individual seat results. I gather there's a bit more of sort of difficulty in getting, you know, that level of accuracy in individual seats. It's a sign. It's a marker. It can be useful. Um, parties use these internal polls to see how they're tracking. Um, but there are also a bunch of polls that are tend to be released, uh, commissioned by candidates or commissioned by entities. Uh, and the most important thing in reading any news about that is just to bear in mind who commissioned it. So when we report those sorts of polls here at The Guardian, we always make clear who's commissioned the poll. Yeah. Uh, and that should be taken into account because there there must be a purpose for it being released. Um, uh, you know, if, if, a, if a particular poll doesn't suit the interests of the person who commissioned it, then they probably wouldn't release it. So just bear that in mind when reading any stories about uh-huh. this. Anyway. And, and, oh, I was just going to say the other thing that um, parties hold very close to their chest is the tracking poll, mm, yes. which is um, not sort of the normal formula for a, you know, it's not, not necessarily a um, qualitative poll, but it's basically they periodically check in with the same group of people to see what issues are 
um, tracking and how, how their views might be changing. And so that, that's, I guess, a bit more like a focus group. But the results of those sorts of tracks um, are kept very, very tightly um, and are very rarely shared through the media. So I think, you know, as um, everyone has sort of noted, usually when those um, seat polls are shared by either major party, there's usually some sort of internal strategy behind leaking that information. But the tracks are very closely held. Mm. Did you have a thought, Amy? Well, yeah, uh, just following on from Sarah and the tracking polls is that um, internally the politi- the major political parties don't even really follow, like, you know, the entire country in terms of electorates. It's, it's basically a group of about 20 marginal seats and that's what they look at because that tells them where the campaign is working, as Sarah says, but it also tells them what of those marginal seats they actually have a chance of winning and where they need to do more work to, to to hold on to. So they're not looking at the whole of the country. They're looking at about 20 seats and going, okay, how do we finesse the campaign to ensure that we hold or win these ones? Yeah, and just to square the circle back to uh, Daniel's point where, where we began on, on this question, I think in some respects actually the track is more helpful and, and going back to the sort of basis of Jonathan's question, which is, is it more reliable? Daniel's exactly right. It's no more reliable than any other poll because the same methodologies are applied. But the but the benefit of the track, which, as everyone said, is very closely held by both sides, is it's looking in the right place. <laughs> like the, the frustration reporting politics uh, and and using polls in order to inform our reporting is that it's the wrong metric. We're basically looking at a national two-party preferred plus in our in our poll case uh, of a, of a mythical national vote that doesn't happen. What happens is we have a bunch of votes in a bunch of seats that determine, uh, you know, the stripe of the, of the government. So yeah, it's it, there's no sort of secret squirrel magicness that makes the track more reliable than than the published opinion polls but it's helpful to the extent that it's looking in the right place, if that makes sense. Because two-party preferred might mean, yes, one side wins the popular vote, but if they don't win enough electorates, they don't win government. Yeah, that's right. So you can, and that's happened in in Australian politics. Probably Kim Beasley's the most famous version of that, won the popular vote but did not win government. Exactly. And But but there's some funny, even though at one level it's more, it is better, it is more because you're looking at the actual thing, sometimes the track doesn't tell you everything, right, in in elections where there's boilovers in particular seats. I, I, I think in the in the Victorian state election, in that state election where the where the where Dan, Daniel Andrews won a bunch of liberal seats, um, I remember strategists telling me at the time, God, we didn't even know that was happening because there's no way we were looking <laughs> at those seats, right? Mm. So every now and again you can sort of you can hit the limits of that of that structure as well. Yeah, when so. the mood's on. Same thing happened in Queensland when Campbell Newman lost government yes. uh, and, looking, and in the wrong won, places. looking in the wrong places because the entire state swung yeah. and they just did not think that that was going to happen. Labor went into that election with seven seats, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Nine, actually. Oh, nine. nine. Oh, they yeah. it was a by-election. Yeah. yeah. So, but nine and then ended up forming minority government in one term. So the tracking polls were no help to the <laughs> LNP in yeah. so not so Jonathan, in summary, uh, <laughs> <laughs> They're kind of helpful and kind of unhelpful, but anyway, we've we've I think we've ventilated that sufficiently. Sarah, you're up, and Tim Fitzsimmons, 
Oh, dear, I hate to break it to you, love, has a brain buster. Whew, sorry. On your Tim. I mean, it's just good. what I need. In the final 48 <laughs> hours or whatever we are of the campaign. I mean, we've put it in, Tim, because it's a really good question, but oh, my God. Anyway, without further ado, Tim's question <laughs> is the following. Do we have a sense, either from what the leaders have said or in your experience of these things, of what the first 100 days will look like after the election under the following scenarios? One, coalition majority government, two, Labor majority government, three, hung parliament. I did warn you it's a blame. It's, 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 an, absolute, it's, it's an absolutely great question, Tim. Thank you. But, oh, my God, this may break us. Sarah? Sarah's the right brain for Okay, it, well, Go. can I um, just very helpully, Anthony Albanese gave an interview to Troy Brampston this morning, or well, which was published this morning, about his busy 100-day plans. Oh. That gives us Hello. some very helpful pointers. <laughs> um, uh, and in this 100-day plan, there is um, the first order of business. Well, we know the first, first order of business is that he will go to the quad in um, Tokyo next week if um, he is Prime Minister. Um, he's already indicated that he and Penny Wong would seek to be sworn in very quickly to allow him to go to that uh, very critical meeting. Um, but in addition to that, we know that he would... Uh, Sackfield Gatjens, head of PMNC, CFL. He has flagged that there will be a summit with business and unions to inform a white paper on employment. Um, he has said that there will be a budget. I don't know if that's going to be in the first 100 uh, days. October. But obviously, um, yeah, he's flagged that um, uh, uh, Jim Chalmers would um, give a ministerial statement on the budget and the economic outlook. Um, there'd be work begun on a National Integrity Commission. And there's this uh, sort of curious one about beginning structural change in departments. So um, yeah. I assume that means a shake-up of the public sector and um, work on obviously a bunch of policies that Labor wants to implement. So that's I think that sort of a, gives us plenty to um, look at for the first 100 days of an Albanese government. Um, we were kind <laughs> of... Coalition. <laughs> Coalition. Coalition. Um, so maybe Scott Morrison takes a holiday. I don't know. <laughs> Um, I assume eventually they'll be gets out of everyone gets eventually. out of everyone's lives as promised. Um, uh, parliament, uh, parliament, Parliament returns in two and a half years. It yep. continues. We have to, the flight of the eagles that goes over once a year in commemoration. Yep. Uh, look, I have absolutely no idea what the first hundred days of a coalition government would look like. Do you um, think they do? No, I don't <laughs> think they do. Um, I look to be honest. I think whoever wins wins government is going to have a pretty tough time because we've got huge um, pressures in the economy. So I think we are, whoever's in government is going to have to deal with uh, probably events. multiple capital interest, a. yeah, capital E events, multiple interest rate hikes, um, you know, inflation's going to get worse. Um, I don't think it's going to be an easy time for whoever's in power. Um, in terms of a hung parliament, well, in 2010, it took 17 days for um, the crossbenchers to declare that they would back Julia Gillard. So that sort of gets you 20% through the, the 100 days yeah. <laughs> very in a similar yeah. situation. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it's a game of inches, Sarah, a yeah. game of inches. After that, I guess, well, I think you refer to the above, depending on who's in power. Well, um, well we presume, uh, like, depending on, obviously, who the key crossbenchers mm. are, like, their, their nominated uh, areas of interest are climate policy and integrity mm. commission, right? Mm. So we presume, I guess or it's... Or dams if you're Bob Catter. Or dams if you're Bob Catter. Exactly. Mm. Or dams if you're Bob Catter. So perhaps the perhaps 100 days is Climate Policy Integrity Commission and, and, and a shed load of dams, <laughs> possibly. Well, yeah. Scott Morrison did say today that he would obviously 
go to the quad yes, uh, and that he would want to start visiting countries again. So we've got a bit of work to do in the South and, Pacific. Yes, yeah, And then as he also oh. said um, Vietnam mm. is somewhere that he wanted to go before the pandemic hit. So mm-hmm. I think there'd probably be a little bit of a sorry, not sorry tour around the region. Mm. 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 Daniel, you got insights here? Not particularly, <laughs> <laughs> to be completely honest. No, I, 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 I it do. sort of shows, though, that Morrison's agenda, like there's, there's not, it's a re-election agenda, there's not a really big policy agenda. There's a, the message, the government's campaign message is entirely don't risk Labor, steady hand on the till, mm. we'll get through it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, it does. It does sort of, yeah. Did it, 100 it, days just come from the fact that it's a nice round number? I don't know where 100 days so. came from. It's sort of like, it's one of those kind of standards of yeah. anniversary journalism, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But it's sort of like, it's it's just something that, that creates a trigger point for news organisations to seek an interview with a leader and say, you know, portentously, that was your first hundred. Um, and then on I mean, one thing is, one thing, sorry, I was just going to say, one thing to ponder is assume the soup, like rating your super for housing would have to be legislated. So, a I mean. Bunch, yes, like there, there are stuff that has to be legislated. So, I mean, yeah. that would be an interesting one to see how that, that goes. And out. In the Senate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, depending on what the Senate looks like, which is Jackie Lambie or the Greens. Which is an an unbelievably smooth segue, (laughs) Sarah Martin, to our next question, which is from Hamish Brown. On you, Hamish. Could we be looking at a crazy Senate no matter who wins the House? <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what you're talking about, Hamish, anyway. Uh, no matter who wins the House. With people, question. Ta- well, it is. With people using the Senate to really stick the boot in to the major, to the two majors. Hello to any senators listening. Exactly. Well, I, I love feel your like work. Hamish may have been paying attention to Australian <laughs> politics in recent years because I think we, it's pretty um, pretty certain that we will have an interesting Senate. Um and, uh, look, you know, again, um, going back to Tim's question, depending on who is in power, there may well be a hostile Senate. So um, depending on which way the cards fall on election night. So the Australian Institute has helpfully done some work on this and I, I don't think a lo- it has been getting a lot of attention. Um, but obviously, um, you know, who has the balance of power in the next Senate? They suggest that Tasmania, South Australia... And Western Australia will, and Victoria will be critical. Um, so in Tassie, the final seat looks like a race between Erica Betts and the Jackie mm. Lambie network. Mm-hmm. Um, my favourite, by the way, the, the Erica ta- Betts below oh, yes. the line campaign, my favourite of the entire campaign. And, anyway. and the thing in Tassie is you don't need that many votes to, like, you know, you could do because they've got a lot <laughs> of Senate seats. If you're um, listening, we love you. Yeah, yes. they've got the, an equal number of Senate um, seats, of course, apart from if you live in one of the territories, um, <laughs> and um, not that many people. So um, uh, South Australia, the Greens are, are a good chance of picking up um, another seat or it could be Nick Xenophon or even One Nation. So um, that could be very interesting. Mm. Um, and, and in WA and Victoria, Labor is in the running for three seats. Um also interesting that UAP or One Nation could be in the running for the final seat in Victoria. Mm-hmm. Um, Amanda Stoker likely to lose the third spot in Queensland, but Amy will probably have thoughts on the who will get that third spot. Oh, that, that one, that one's always a crapshoot. But, yeah. yeah. The Greens are in with a very good chance. Yes. But what, about, what about our Clive? 
Uh, Clive uh, is not looking like he will. Mm. No, not looking like he's going to get enough of the vote um, and uh, One Nation will comfortably re-elect Pauline Hanson, mm. but um, probably not much more than that. But mm. the Greens are fairly confident. Labor is also hoping that there might be enough of a vote co- correction that they also pick up the seat that they lost, the Senate seat that ah, they lost at the right. last And vote. so the Greens potentially could increase their um, representation quite significantly. Mm. Um, and then there's also what happens in the ACT is pretty interesting as well if um, uh, if Pocock ends up knocking off Zed Seselja, um, that's also an interesting contest. So I think, um, I guess, to the to the key part of the question about whether that's where the major parties really get a, a kick up the bum, I'd say yes. Um, and it's also a lot easier for those minor parties to 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 clinch a Senate seat than mm. it is to clinch a lower house seat. And I think the other thing that some, someone pointed out to me yesterday is there's been a lot more sort of wheeling and dealing between the minor parties at mm-hmm. this election. Like I know that was obviously a big thing with preference harvesting yeah. when Ricky Muir getting the but, olden times. But yeah. even just Lendry. the above the line um, preference swaps, like you know, like UAP, I don't think has either of the major parties above the line, like they've got six minors and a lot of a lot of them have sort of done deals between them. So um, I think um, it will be pretty interesting to see how that manifests um, on election night, but obviously we don't know for a little a little while what yes. the Senate looks. One, but, of, the, um, one of the quirks is yeah. we don't know for a little while. Mm. And, and, again, you control your preferences. We do know this, yes. but there are a gr- big group of people, as, as Sarah was pointing to, who do follow the parties how to vote cuts. Yes, and, and, and you know, have fun. Vote below yeah. the line. I mean, obviously, schedule yourself a lazy two hours in the polling booth. We don't even have to now for the Senate. <laughs> you can just go with 1 to 12. Yeah, 1 to 12. You but, can. I mean, it depends yeah. who you want. To, if you want the joy of putting a particular candidate last, mm-hmm. dead last, then mm-hmm. yes. It's then very go hard, the whole though, hog. when you get down to that. Yeah. Well, when you get up to number 138,000. Yes. yes. Anyway. Anyway, so, yes, that, hopefully that answers your question broadly, Hamish. It's a bit of watch this space, but, uh, yes, but you're right. It will be the zone of stick it to the major parties. It's just unclear as to the precise configurations. Amy, darling, you, Stephen yes. Johnson mm-hmm. has our question. Uh, now, Stephen says, my question is more of an observation I'd be interested in hearing you discuss. If Anthony Albanese is elected Prime Minister, he will be the first in the job to have not come to the position with blood on his hands. Morrison knifed Turnbull, who knifed Abbott, Abbott knifed Nelson, Howard knifed Downer. Oh, I must have missed that then. Anyway, never mind, Stephen. Um, yeah, Rudd... that was a deal for foreign minister, remember? Oh, okay. All right, gotcha. Right. And Downer was for two seconds and he did the um, that terrible oh. slogan. Oh, of course. oh no, yes, yeah, of course, opposition. Yes, yes, yes. yes, opposition. yes, yes. This yes. is pre-96. The domestic God, violence joke that he made. Yes, and, oh, yeah, of course. Oh, my God. Stephen Ellison, elephant stamp for you. Okay, then on the Labor side we've got Rudd. Uh, you know, Rudd, Gillard, Rudd, uh, and Rudd and Gillard knifed Beasley before that period. Um, Keating knifed Hawke, who had knifed Hayden. You know, like, anyway, you get this, this sort of scenario. Albanese, on the, other, on the other hand, Stephen notes, won his opposition leader job unchallenged. Does this signal, along with the fact that it's now tougher to depose major party leaders, 
a more stable politi- political leadership environment? <laughs> Good question, Amy, Stephen. You're up. Um, look, I think we would all hope so, and I think the major political parties, particularly Labor, where the blood seems to stain a little bit hard, like longer and harder than it does within the coalition, know that people do not have an appetite for the constant changing of prime ministers or leaders anymore, that people are are over it and that people actually are now looking for stable leadership and in that they don't want to hear about party room dealings and, you know, who's angry at who. They just want politicians to get on with their job, which is by and large trying to improve the lives of everyday Australians. So I think that Labor in particular has managed to put pulled themselves together. Uh, The rules, you know, after Rudd was disposed have helped with that. But of course, rules are always made to be broken. And there are ways and around, you know, how you do that. I mean, Anthony Albanese's vote didn't actually go to the grassroots from memory because he was elected unopposed. So there would have been wheeling and dealing in the party room then to have him as the only candidate. Um, And of course, there are still many leadership aspirants within the Labor Party who would want to step up. But for this moment in time, they do seem to be pretty united. If they manage to pull off the win, Mm. uh, that could be a different story entirely because economic pressures tend to then turn pressure onto governments who then start not doing so well and then that starts the rumble, should we change the leader and make things better? Um, So, you know, I don't have a crystal ball on that, but right now, this moment in time, they do seem to have their act together and I think you can see that from the fact that the former leader, Bill Shorten, is in the shadow ministry and by and large has played by the rules and done what he can to, you know, support Labor getting into power, Mm -hmm. if and so they do. The coalition uh, is another story entirely. Their, Their coups always seem a little less bloody than Labor's do, a little little cleaner, um, well, at see, least yeah, they in do, the They public. seem to get over them quicker. Yeah, they do. Mm. Um, and mm. I think that's probably partly because, you know, there's so many different factions within there that are unspoken, whereas Labor has a lot more, de- you know, delineations between their factions and they grow up within the Labor Party doing this warfare, you know, at conference and with unions and stuff, where the coalition don't necessarily play by those same rules. But there are obviously leadership aspirants within the uh, Liberal Party as well. We've mentioned them previously. There's Josh Frydenberg. There is Peter Dutton. Um, you know, as, as Sarah's mentioned, there's Angus Taylor, all of these people who think that they are potentially the next Prime Minister if they win, uh, but they don't win by a lot. There is already rumours that Scott Morrison could face a leadership challenge within in the first year if he doesn't manage to turn around, you know, uh, his own personal unpopularity as Prime Minister. If they lose, you would imagine that there would be like some sort of spill um, and there would probably be a contest between them. And then you have the Nationals who just seem to kind of just decide on a dime who they're going to flip their leader to and whether Barnaby Joyce is going to be the leader or not. So uh, I think that that's a very long way of saying that most people within the the political realm are aware that Australians are over having more prime ministers than governments. Mm. Whether that actually changes anything if things start to go bad is not a test that we faced yet Mm. in terms of we don't know whether 
political parties can stand to hold on to a leader who was unpopular for a long period of time when the economy is also mm. downturning. Back to capital E events. Anyone got any thoughts before we race through the last questions? Um, all I'd say, like, my only thought was um, you know, absolutely right in that Albo has you know, done a very good job in managing those internals, but I do get the feeling that they're quite thinly papered over in parts and we saw that with the you know outbreak over the Kimberley kitchen stuff there is still a lot of animosity within the Labor caucus mm-hmm. room and there are a lot of um, people who are just like biding their time um, but who um, you know th- th- those those divisions are real and um, you know I think it'll be very interesting to see how Albanese manages those tensions in government because they're mm-hmm. all keeping their shit together to win the election, mm. um, but those tensions have a habit of um, breaking out when there are um, differences over policy in government um, and, you know, particularly given Albanese has taken a very small target approach in the lead-up to the election, government is a completely different beast. So I think that's going to be fascinating to watch. Yeah, well, there's sort of two dynamics there quickly, isn't there? There is there is the, call it the residual uh, you know that those cross currents that came that surfaced during the kitchen debate, and there's also Albanese's got to manage uh, uh, well the what we would call in politics the young and the restless. Uh, if if Albanese does win on Saturday night, he will be returning to government with a fairly strong complement of people who were ministers in the Rudd Gillard era, uh, standing. Directly behind them is a bunch of mid-tier entrants who have done the two, you know, two, two terms in opposition, most of them, and uh, and will want their will want their time to shine. So, anyway, it's, it's it's a really interesting thought experiment, Stephen. And thank you for the question. Now, there's just a few that we're going to rip through uh, just at the end. So, uh, Sue wants to know <laughs> who's going to win, Daniel. Nah. <laughs> uh- <laughs> I know everyone's Me. doing lots of caveats. Um, I would be surprised if Morrison gets a second miracle. And the reason I say that is just the fundamentals. They're going with a one-seat majority. I know all the arguments about the difficult path to victory for Labor, but just I can't see that Morrison's personal standing compared to 2019 when he was more of a clean skin won't have an effect. Okay, Amy, who's going to win, Look, I don't know. This is the time when political journalists like me just go, we don't know, so we're not wrong and we don't have our um, whatever it is uh, prediction played at the winter winter ball over and over and over again. So I honestly don't know. I can't pick it. I do know that um, very quickly I had um, a family member who lives in the Central Coast, does, you know, like a working class job, who uh, sent a message last week saying, do not like Morrison, but can I trust Labor? with the economy, uh, and I think that that's a question that a lot of people are weighing up and that's not something we can predict. Mm. Sarah? Yeah, look, I agree with what everyone I agree with what everyone has said so far. I think it's a very difficult election to read because we don't necessarily know how some of that post-pandemic um, uh, politics shakes out um, with the protest vote. Uh, in some of those outer suburban areas. And, you know, obviously everyone in Australia had a different experience of the pandemic. So I think that makes it difficult to know how people who endured really long lockdowns in outer, you know, particularly outer suburban Melbourne um, and outer um, parts of Sydney, 
how their experience differed from those who were sort of, you know, the laptop class in um, inner city areas and who were, you know, had to endure lockdowns but maybe didn't lose their jobs or their livelihoods. And so I think obviously Clive Palmer's really um, tried very hard to appeal to the, that disaffected um, community. So there is, I guess, an element of doubt as to how that um, plays out in the um, in this election. But it's obviously... You know the, the path to victory is a lot easier for Labor, and even if there's even if there's not a big swing on, you'd think that the anti-Morrison swing is enough to um, you know for the five the minimum sort of five seats that Labor needs to win to form at least a minority government. But having said that, if there is sort of some weird structural shift going on in the electorate, which is not 100% clear yet, but maybe clearer on election night. Um, then obviously there remains potential for the coalition to offset those losses with gains elsewhere, and mm. that's I guess the unknown, yeah, the, the, the final chapter of this election story. No, indeed, and and that's the point. I mean, we we are in part hesitating, uh, you know, or equivocating because, as Amy says, you know, we're, we're actually not Steve the octopus. We're actually not in the predictions business. But as Sarah says, the the element in this campaign that makes it so hard to pick is what happens with the COVID grumpies, various, um, and how those preferences distribute. And and the thing about, uh, you know, the, the low information voters who are thinking about someone other than the major parties, these people are really hard to poll. They're really hard to get to. Um, so anyway, this, I don't know. I genuinely don't know. I don't know how this story ends. So, so, Sorry about that. We're all going to have to tune in on Saturday night to Amy's spectacular live coverage. <laughs> uh, she will be calling the result as it happens naturally, which brings us to a question from AK just quickly. When do you anticipate we'll have a result? Well, we know on Saturday. Daniel? Sure. Yep. I'll just, just to keep this quick, I'm going to say yep. Yep. Uh, okay. I'm going to say no. That okay. we might take a couple of days. Okay. I'm going to say Maybe. <laughs> I'm just going to stick with don't know. Sorry, okay. I know <laughs> that's just pathetic, the but, there. but I really, I, I honestly don't know. I don't know. It's, I just it's, think it's, given the number of postals, yeah, like there's huge. been like 2.7 yeah, million postals and yep. they're counted for like what, up to two weeks after yeah. health close. Mm. Yeah. If any of those seats that we've been talking about rely on postals, yeah, really then close it's ones. going to yeah, yeah hold it up. And yeah. Labor needs those bunch of WA seats, which will come in late. Late, exactly. Yes, yeah, someone, someone, I'll just say, if you're listening, someone did ask us a question about where we prepared to stay up real late for the WA results. <laughs> what time so, did we finish last uh, time? About 2, 3am. Oh, oh, yeah. it's, so. it's always a big night, folks. But anyway, yeah, so thank you, AK. Now, just Lou Corton wants to know, hypothetically, if we were to play a drinking game on Saturday <laughs> night, <laughs> what key words or phrases would you suggest? We, Any thoughts? We're getting some early results in from, you know, <laughs> the such and such primary school. Yes, and Anthony yeah. Green will be ready to say that that's, that's uh, you know, that booth, you know, the proportion of voters of the parents of that school who voted, you know, each way last time. Yeah. The early results when it's actually only a bunch of 30 votes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, God, yeah, 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 yeah. painful. Um, I think uh, too close to call. Oh, yeah. Say too close so to call. definitely yeah. one. Nice. Um, and uh, Morrison's unpopularity, I think, will also play. Like you know, and oh, also yes, in terms you know, of yeah. yeah, and also um, Albanese's gaffes. I'm talking coverage, yeah, like how often it. it's mentioned. So yes, yeah, you could you could add 
you could add teal seat oh, to, yeah. teal, to the bingo card. Yeah, um, that might be quite, you might be quite drunk quite early with teal. <laughs> you could, teal you you could, I reckon you could have Frydenberg as, as, yes. a, as, a, as a drinking that's, word. Yeah, that's a safe one. Mm. I mean, a wild card one would be Dutton too. Yeah. That would be like, that's an absolute wild card, yep. but that could be one. Also, um, that's surprising. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just, you know, political commentators talk for like, oh God, didn't even consider that and here we are. So. And I think some permutation of moderates extinct oh, in, yes. in the event that uh, the Teals have a good night. And I believe that Simon Birmingham is on the ABC mm-hmm. live election coverage. So poor old Burmo, if it's a, if it's a savage night in the inner city oh, the for the Liberal Party. Future of the Liberal Party. Yeah, that'd be a bit of the future of the Liberal Party, I reckon. Any other thoughts? Well, if, if Albanese loses and it's, you know, quite concrete and we hear it on um, Saturday night, then it'll just be like, you know, <laughs> where now for Labor? Can Labor recover? Yes, There's indeed. that as well. Yes. With a, we should just write two scripts and just, true. you know. Just punch in the yep. relevant one. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, Lou. Hopefully that was a bit helpful. I think she should also have a drink every time there's some sort of technical fail. Like when, oh, <laughs> yeah, like when Anthony <laughs> Green's machine doesn't yeah, work or yeah, something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yes, I yes. recommend you read Amy's live blog from... 6 p.m. to yes. 7.30 p.m., but not watch any of the TV coverage in that period <laughs> because there's nothing to be done during that time. But oh. Please read out. Well, 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 you get all the dodgy Just exit Just wait polls. an hour and a half. You get all the dodgy exit yeah, polls. Yeah, but it's too close to the actual oh, well, time. It's, but, well, well, but it's ridiculous. You remember yeah. the exit polls the ex- in 2019 yes. that, you know, showed that Bill Shorten was about to march into, you know, invade mm. invade the Sedan. I ended up calling the election on the blog for um, the coalition before Anthony Green. I saw the results from Queensland and I was like, it's done. Uh, and, uh, yep, and then 20 minutes later Anthony Green was like, it's done. So <laughs> don't think we're going to have quite that that quick result, um, but I do think that it is going to be a night that uh, is going to actually throw up quite a few surprises because, you know what, as Murph and Sarah and Danibal said, there are a lot of people who are thinking very different things to what we're discussing on the pod. And I don't mean in terms of like politics, I mean their experiences, what they're actually worried about. There has been a disconnect over what we've covered, we being the media, on the campaign and what people have actually been asking questions about, including our good listeners. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that that is going to be probably the biggest surprise and the biggest impact is that there's going to be results that were not predicted because like not everyone has had their fingers on the pulse, yeah. which is the anywhere but Canberra series has has thrown up. Yeah, and it, do, it does feel a bit like that that there'll be surprises in and and anyway we, we will see. So drink responsibly, you. exactly. Obviously, drink responsibly, and if you're under eighteen, don't drink at all. Why are you looking <laughs> at me? Like, <laughs> yes, mom. Yeah, like you know. Oh, anyway, whatever. You could say something, but you no, know, no, it's, no, it's no. Best, so. be, best you don't. Yes. Uh, okay. So, any final observations about the campaign? It's not mandatory. We've only just got through it alive, I think. So, if we're out of juice, we're out of juice. But what do you? What do you, just off the top of your head? A final observation from each of you about this campaign. I think it's been really quite fascinating because it feels quite different to other campaigns. Um, I don't think Albanese has had a good campaign, but I think um, Paul Erickson has had a good campaign in terms of like the negative ads targeting Morrison. But if Albanese can win this election with the campaign that he's run, I think that sort of upends a bunch of um, like uh, conventional wisdom associated with 
federal politics in terms of how Labor wins. Mm. Um, and I know there's sort of that, that view that uh, governments lose elections, um, oppositions don't win them, but we haven't had from Labor the charisma that's usually associated with a change of government to Labor. We haven't had the big, bold vision that is also usually associated with a change of government to Labor. So it'll, be, it'll really turn that um, on its head and it'll be really quite interesting mm, if they I pull it with, off. I agree with that. Amy? Um, I think this campaign has shown me that... Um, like people and voters by and large are, are kind of sick of campaigns being like the be all and end all in terms of leadership. I think that pe- there has been a bit of a pushback that a good campaigner is a good leader and that, that the campaign is all that you pay attention to. Uh, and I, I think that has been, it been really interesting just watching people respond to how campaigns are covered. Uh, And also I think that it's been really interesting watching people say that we want hope and we want a better future and we're looking for positivity. And I think if there has been one theme I've picked up off social media, away from social media, but you know, talking to people in life, is that people want something to believe in and the usual Australian negative campaign seems to have really switched off more people than than usual and I think that has been quite quite interesting and also makes me hopeful for the future, Mm. the fact that we've got people who are hopeful, do want something better and no matter what we've been talking, we, the media, have been talking about, you know, gaffes and all the rest of it and six points and you know, whether Scott Morrison is a bulldozer or not, they're still like, what's happening with aged care? What's happening with my health care? What's happening with the NDIS? What's happening with climate change? What's happening in women's issues? And that has kept that bubbling away. It's It hasn't been us leading it. It's been people going, actually, no, we want to talk about this, so we're going to make you. Mm. Daniel? Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I, I, guess, I guess the challenge for the coalition this time has been, you know, they've been trying to demonise Anthony Albanese. I know we've had before, you know, before the campaign began, a lot of discussion about whether people, quote unquote, know him or knew him. Uh, but I don't think, you know, to the extent that they've been able to tarnish Albanese, it's been, you know, not across this brief as opposed to a big scary threat. So, you know, Shorten had a lot of personal baggage, uh, and you know, people weren't prepared to make that change. I guess this time. Morrison with extra baggage of the bushfires and during the pandemic and so on, uh, uh, and women's equality and justice, um, there there may be more of a build up there. And I don't think the coalition has had the same effectiveness in being able to tarnish Albanese. Now, of course, the question marks about managing the economy in a times of crisis may may resonate, but I just think I just think that looking at the campaign, my observation is just that I don't think they've been able to depict him as. Um, a scary sort of threat. I think people who have been vox popped have tended to say things like, oh, he seems like a good bloke, a nice bloke. It's more about whether he's up to it, but I yeah. guess we'll see soon enough. Yeah, we will see soon enough. And I would just add quickly uh, two observations, my eternal gratitude to this fantastic team. Uh, who I work with here in Canberra, and we've really been able to showcase the entire squad through these uh, Ask Us Anything episodes through the campaign. Listeners have loved them. We've loved doing them. We've had a really good time, and uh, and I am just eternally grateful for the hard work uh, company and focus of my colleagues. I'm also eternally grateful to you, the listeners, uh, for... Uh, you know, persisting with this podcast over a very long period of time. I started this podcast 
in the first year I was at The Guardian, which now seems like a century ago. So I'm very grateful to listeners who have been with us right from the beginning and the new listeners that we've picked up along the way. So thank you. And uh, Daniel's got a final final. Not really. I just a special mention to Paul Carp and Josh Butler <laughs> yes, who are on the on campaign trail exactly. this week and that's exactly. why they're not in the episode. Exactly, us. exactly. I'm glad you did that. Thank you. So. And special thanks to our campaign mummy, Murph. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, God. Kept us all safe. Oh, God. Sane. Oh, we're not there yet. We, we, it, it, could, it could go bad. <laughs> You've anyway, been pulling me off of buildings <laughs> roofs on Saturday night. No, I can't no, no, do no. it. There's a hole in my pocket. <laughs> exactly, I can't. Exactly. We can't hit that up one more time. No, no. And then obviously thank you to the audio team who have worked massively hard during this election, uh, that we've done many different projects in audio form and these guys have worked around the clock basically to bring you daily stuff, bring you long-form stuff, bring you weekly stuff. So very, very grateful to that sensational audio team led, of course, by the EP of this show, Miles Martignoni. So, guys, uh, look, uh, <laughs> you're heading for a big choice. You know, the, the three of you that who haven't pre-polled in the country, you've got a big choice to make on Saturday. Think about it judiciously, wisely, believe in your in your democracy and exercise your vote accordingly and we will see you on the other side. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.